and FirstAmendmentRadio.net, around the world and on satellite. Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. Today we're going to talk about a number of different things. I'm doing some things different than I normally would do them. Uh, We're recording the program normally here. Uh, Due to technical difficulties, we're not going to be recording this show, but we're going to talk about a number of different things over the next couple of weeks. Uh, One of them is the Word of God. It's an interesting uh, study that we've been putting together. And uh, just to give you an idea, if you want to do your homework, which everybody should be doing, we should be studying uh, the Word of God, the Bible, uh, as it has come down to us through the ages. Uh, We know that, uh, or many people believe, that the Bible was divinely inspired. And the men who wrote it, I uh, have no doubt, were divinely inspired. The men who translated it were not always divinely inspired uh, because that's why we have so many different translations. Uh, In the books that we have available on the Internet and most of the articles, we use the King James Version, mostly because it's most readily available. There's been a great deal of research or concordances that are attached to that particular version of the Bible. But they're all translations, and they're translations by men. And they're usually translations by men who were paid by uh, other men who had a particular interest in having the Bible translated. Their interests were not always pure. Uh, The King James Version uh, was translated by 50 government-paid scholars uh, who were paid by King James to translate the Bible. Uh, There had been other kings who had wanted the Bible uh, translated. Uh, uh, Henry VIII wanted it translated. But uh, when the translation started coming out and people actually started reading it, they started realizing, wait a minute, the religion that we have been given over the years has not actually been what this is saying. Their translations were starting to give them new ideas as they were reading the Bible for the first time, uh, many of the people then. Now, the books of the Bible were passed around as individual books, you know, the uh, 60-some different uh, books that we see in the Bible uh, were passed around as individual books for the first century or so. They weren't compiled into what we call the Bible until long after the apostles were gone. They were compiled by Eusebius, uh, who was also paid by Constantine, who was a government uh, ruler, and a government ruler who ruled not like Christ said, actually in opposition to what Christ said. He claimed to be a Christian, but his life didn't show it. Uh, he didn't get baptized till he was on his deathbed, and there's a great deal of debate as to whether he was even still alive when he was baptized. Uh, he was killing people, uh, his partner, his entire partner's family, uh, on a regular basis after he supposedly became a Christian and was having visions of Christ. And most people are unaware of the fact that the year before he had visions of Christ, he had other visions of uh other gods. Uh, He was quite the man of visions. Uh, There is no real evidence that Constantine really was a Christian by looking at his life. Uh, He supposedly stopped the persecution of Christians, but in reality, he came to persecute Christians by uh, exiling some 
uh, supposedly because they were heretics. But he was deciding that they were heretics, and a few other men were deciding that they were heretics. I was always amazed. There were over 1,200 known bishops at the time of Constantine, and uh, Constantine uh, called this meeting together for all the bishops to come to. Uh, they must have had pretty good seating for 1,200 bishops. That was just the, the ones that we know of. There were probably a lot more. A bishop wasn't that big a deal. Uh, ten uh, elders of families got together and they picked a minister. That minister got together with ten other ministers and he picked a minister. That minister that they picked would be a bishop, an overseer. Uh, he doesn't have any exercising authority. We were already forbidden from having exercising authority one over the other. But he was usually picked because he was the best servant of 10 or 12 or 15 different ministers. And he, he did a real good job of organizing people. He's a great peacemaker. He understood the doctrines of Christ. He uh, uh, carried out his function in the network that was Christianity. Christianity was a network. It wasn't a top-down authority. It was a grassroots movement. There were men who were appointed apostles by Christ, but only after they had proven themselves to be good networkers. They'd gone out and met with other people. You go here, I'll go there, and they go out two by two, and they bear witness to the kingdom of God at hand. That's an interesting concept of the kingdom of God at hand. What is the kingdom of God? It's the right to be ruled by God. Now, why would that be a big deal? Well, at that time, most people were getting ruled by Caesar. Now, contrary to popular belief, Judea had not yet succumbed to the rule of Caesar. Although Caesar was there, his representatives were there in Judea, they had been invited in. And by that invitation and the acceptance of assistance, and the benefit of Caesar's presence, Caesar had authority in Judea. You could kill murderers and execute them in Judea at the time of Christ. You could execute uh, a harlot, uh, you know, an adulteress. They were about to do it there in the Bible. We see that. I've actually heard ministers say, oh, well, no one had the right to execute anybody without the authority of Rome. And that's why Jesus had to be brought before Pilate. No, absolutely. That is, the, uh, that is a ridiculous statement. We see right in the same Bible, they were about to execute a woman for adultery. Now, I didn't see Pontius Pilate say, well, wait a minute. Now I can't execute her until I say, that isn't what they did. They didn't have to uh, go before Herod or before Pontius Pilate to execute a common criminal who was a murderer. They just did that. Why was Jesus brought to the highest authorities in Judea? Why was he brought before Herod? Herod wasn't the king in Jerusalem. He was the king in Galilee, but he wasn't the king in Jerusalem. There was no king in Jerusalem. That was the big problem. You see, when Herod the Great had died, they had divided the empire into three parts. And those three parts included Galilee in one and Jerusalem in another. And then Philip was in another part. So this Herod Antipas was only king in his part and Philip was king in his part, and their brother had been executed by the permission of Rome at the demand of Herod the Great, and there was no king in Jerusalem. And that was the big question. That was what was on everybody's mind. Who would be the king in Jerusalem? That had been prophesied years before by other apocrypha books, uh, man, a man, uh, who was in a scene had prophesied that the Messiah was coming. 
And we know that there were men who were prophesying that the Messiah was coming because Herod the Great knew that the Messiah was coming. And the and the one who did this was men and man, uh, who had said that had told Herod that the Messiah would come during his reign before he even became the king. And he told him that when he did come, he would have to give one-third of his kingdom to the Messiah. And he didn't want to do that. He wanted to give it to his own son. His uh, One of his wives uh, actually went to Bethlehem to give birth to her son because she wanted her son to be the Messiah, and they knew that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And her son was Herod Antipas, who was raised by her, his own mother, to be the Messiah. But he fell far short of that. I actually believe that he may have converted to Christianity. He certainly accepted Christ as king, uh, according to the Bible itself. Uh, he did not mock Jesus. He actually put a royal robe on Jesus. And we see the evidence of that right there in the Bible text. But you won't hear this from most ministers. Uh, there was a royal robe that Herod uh, Antipas wore that was a map of all of Judea. And it was inlaced with silver embroidery and gems, etc., representing all 12 tribes. And, and the, even though they knew most of the tribes were not in Judea, according to Roman law, that you could claim your king is in Judea and you could live anywhere in the Roman Empire and travel from country to country because you were a member of the government of Judea. Although you lived in Gaul or you lived in Rome or you lived all over the place. And this was very popular. You, this was uh, very beneficial to trade. You had your own people in all these other uh, ports and harbors and trading centers and but their government was back here in Judea and this is what Herod the Great was setting up with his baptism was baptizing people into the kingdom of Judea and this uh, uh, idea of creating a international nationalism where you could travel all over the world safely, but you were still a part of this government way over here. And in order to prove that, you had to have an ID. And that ID at first was a little white stone with a Hebrew name carved on it, and you got it at baptism. But it was the baptism of Herod. It wasn't the baptism of John the Baptist. And this John the Baptist comes along, he's baptizing people into the kingdom of heaven too. I mean, that's what Herod was doing. But his kingdom of heaven was a different vision. And so how do we know what is the kingdom of heaven and what is not? How do we know what we're talking about when we're talking about things like the word of God? And uh, this is very important to understand these concepts and how these concepts work in order to understand what the Bible is talking about when they say the Word of God. There's several different words that are translated into the Word of God if you go back into the Hebrew or into the Greek text. So which ones are you reading when you're reading these words? And these are things that we're going to be discussing in the future so that you know what they're talking about when you're actually reading the Bible. Now, I can't tell you, I can't say, well, you need to listen to my doctrine, my teachings. I'm just going to examine this openly on the radio so that you can make your own decision in your own heart and mind based on the facts. And we have numerous books on these subjects so that you, with hundreds, even thousands of footnotes, so that you can look it up and check out these facts. Uh, more technical difficulties. I have no idea what did that. <laughs> anyway, uh, you 
need to comprehend and understand the meaning of these words. You can easily misunderstand English when we're speaking, and we're supposedly all fluent in English. How much more could you misunderstand things if you had to translate them from a language like Hebrew or Greek? Now, we have pretty early versions of the Greek and Hebrew text. But then, who's going to translate the Greek and Hebrew text? Now, Greek is a fairly modern language, and it's a little bit easier to translate, but we know that at the time of Christ, the Pharisees who were reading the Old Testament and interpreting it based upon the Old Testament were scholars and doctors of language they read the Old Testament and did not understand what it was talking about because they did not recognize Jesus when he came and if they had known the Father by the Tanakh and the Old Testament they would have known the Son so they had the word but they did not comprehend it they did not understand it they studied it but they did not get it even the apostles who were walking with Jesus were having a hard time getting it and really understanding it in spirit and in truth so the idea that you can just pick up the book and study it and know the word of God is a very dangerous doctrine because lots of people pick it up and lots of people study it but they don't come to the right conclusion but yeah, I know many people think oh but I will I will I will study it and I will because I really want to know but that in itself is the tree of knowledge that you can by your own intellectual prowess pick up a book as complex as the Bible and know the Word of God simply by and it's just almost impossible to do that I, I would even say it is impossible to do that knowing human nature in order to really know the Bible you must be as divinely inspired as the authors now, few of us are. But there's almost no one who isn't inspired a little bit. There's almost no one who doesn't have some access to the Holy Spirit. Lifting where it wills. If you really want to know, the Holy Spirit will be there to show you. But what happens is that many people are shown the truth by the Holy Spirit who points to the truth but it's too painful and they turn away and they say I, I, I want to know the truth but I, I don't want to know that they hide they hide from the truth they're still back in the garden hiding from the fact that they don't know the truth you know many of the people who study the Bible who want to know the truth what is their motivation? Do they want to possess the truth? Do they want to have the truth? I got the truth and you don't. Is that their attitude? Or I have the truth and I will be the imparter of truth to you. Those are not good motivations. Christ came not with that attitude. But let me get down on my hands and knees and wash the dust off of your feet. Let me help you. Let me serve you. Let me do this for you. I know you're going to betray me, but I'm going to do this for you, and I'll pray for you when you, when you abandon me. You know, I'm a pretty outspoken guy. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'll tell you what I believe. And if you disagree with it, I'll, I will tell you why I believe what I believe. I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm not trying to convince you. I want the Holy Spirit to convince you. 
A lot of people can't take that. They get very upset. They get very angry. They stew. They 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 sulk. Uh, they even come back sometimes and try to call your names. That's okay if that's what you want to do, but that's not doing you any good. It's not really doing me any harm. But it's not doing you any good, that's for sure. But that goes with territory. I mean, this is what happened to Jesus Christ when he spoke the truth. It isn't because I'm Jesus Christ, but if I speak the truth, I'm going to get the same kind of treatment that Jesus Christ got. You can count on it. Because people's sin is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. It's vanity. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's a a it, it creates an agony in our souls that will cause us to be real stick in the mud. Real angry, uh, upset individuals. Oh, we'll put on a good face, but we'll be moody. Uh, we won't be constant. We won't be patient. Uh, we won't be forgiving. You see, those are characters of Christ. And if you don't want to know the truth, you don't get those characters because they're not written on your heart. You can fake them for a while, but you, you won't be able to be consistently like the character of Christ. And, and all of us will fall short. And some of us will see it and admit that we're falling short and try and yearn and pray to do better. But we can't do it on our own. We must be given the power by some other source, and that source is the Holy Spirit, and it is the tree of life, and it is the same thing it always was. We were cut off from the tree of life because we hid from the truth that comes from that. And so we had to invent our own truth And that truth becomes our doctrine. And that will be a subject of future shows. I have some of the notes here. I printed them out just before the show. But I'm going to put them together even when we get off on that. But there are doctrines clearly that are bringing in damnable heresies. And they got all kinds of arguments why these doctrines are true. You don't even have the same word in, in the Old or New Testament for doctrine. There's different words translated into the single word doctrine. So anyway, for your homework, is go into the Bible if you have one of those search engines uh, or concordance and look up every place you see the word, word of God or words of God. There's a few places where the same words are not translated into the Word of God, and we'll go into that in another time. But the point is, is read those verses. Samuel 9, 27. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. Just stand thou still a while, and I may show thee the word of God. Stand still a while, and I will show you the word of God. He wasn't going to show him the book. He was going to show him the word of God. The word there is debar in the Hebrew. It means to speak. It means a sound. It means speech. Do you hear the word of God? Can you stand still? We'll talk again when we return to King of the Kingdom. listening to FirstAmendmentRadio.com worldwide. Freedom is never free. We need your support today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Since the beginning of time, nations have fought for it. It has been traded 
It has been borrowed. It has been purchased. It has been stolen. There's a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188 or visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom and regular guest, world-renowned economist Robert Chapman, right here on FirstAmendmentRadio.com at 4 p.m. Eastern or 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, 1-800-375-4188. Now listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government Takeover of the Church. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call 559-781-3773. Who will tell them if not you? You are listening to the Worldwide First Amendment Radio Network. We do not have freedom of speech because the Constitution gives it to us. The Constitutional Amendment was written to keep the government from taking our freedom away. The Creator gave us our rights, but He also gives us the capacity to do evil or usurp the rights of others. Our individual rights end where the rights of another begin. No one has the right to do evil because evil can never be right. Those who would seek to limit your right to speak or hear the truth are the same who seek to subjugate, control, and enslave you. Freedom is not free. Support the Worldwide First Amendment Radio Network by going to FirstAmendmentRadio.com on the Internet and following the instructions there to support us. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk some more about the Kingdom of God. We've got some series that are going to come up uh, soon, The Word of God. Another one will be Doctrines. And we'll look at the meaning of those words within the context of the Bible. And uh, I can guarantee you that it will be quite different than what most of you are uh, used to hearing in your modern churches. Your modern churches have delivered the whole world into bondage again. Uh, we see the theme in the Old Testament that uh, there was this Nimrod who was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. That's actually what the text is really saying. Uh, instead of a mighty hunter instead of the Lord or uh, before the Lord. And it's very easy to come to that conclusion when you use the, the actual words. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to say that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord? No, as long as you understand the meaning of those words, you can actually say it that way. And it still means in your mind that he was a mighty provider instead of the Lord. Because the reason he was providing for the people is to possess them. It's like the word cosmos comes from the word comizo. Comizo has to do with providing for people. It also has to do with carrying them off. Well, that's what the city-states would do. They would provide benefits for you, but you would be obligated to serve the city-state. A portion of your labor had to go to the city-state. They took that value and provided for you in time of need. This is what we see in Egypt. It was called bondage. 20% of your income every year had to go to the pharaoh. In other words, 20% of your labor had to go to the pharaoh. Now, some people actually had to go and work that off. 
actually had to go down and actually manual labor 20% of the year for the pharaoh on big work projects. But other people who were wealthier could actually send a servant in their place. Uh, and so what some men would do is they would go work for the pharaoh all year long. But they worked 20% uh, of the time uh, for their own labor. And they worked the other 80% of the year for somebody else who could pay them. And they paid off the obligation. The rich men didn't have to go work in the mud pits. They just hired somebody else to work in the mud pits. Or, And everybody wasn't working in the mud pits. They were carving stone. They were uh, providing, uh, some of them were cooking. Some of them were providing other services uh, on these massive work projects to create uh, these uh, treasures, they called them. Uh, but the treasure city was really the fact that the people were all in one purse. They uh, were owing a portion of their labor to the government, and the government could force them to labor without pay for 20% of the year. Well, the reality is is the whole world does that now. There's hardly a country in, in, in the whole world that doesn't have the same system where the people labor for the government without pay, and they're compelled to do so because they have entered into a membership agreement with the corporate state. If you were to go down to Santo Domingo, you would get, you would apply for a session, a number uh, that would identify you. It would be an identification card that would identify you. And if you went to work, a portion of your labor would go to the state. They would take it out in the form of a payment by your taskmaster, your, your employer. And he would have a number, too, that would identify him, and he would make sure that that money got to the state, because, and it would come right out of your pay. So the first uh, couple hours in the morning that you were working, you were actually working for the state. That's the bondage of Egypt. We were never to return to that. Now, that is so pervasive in the world today, in the world today, the world that you're a part of today, you can't imagine a government that could operate without such a system of income tax. And you are obligated to pay that income tax because you've obtained that membership. A lot of people like to say, oh, well, I didn't understand the terms. Well, you signed the contracts, you signed the agreements, you apply for the benefits, you're in that system. That's how Israel got into bondage, is that they said, we're out of food, we're out of bread, we're out of provisions, we need your help. Yeah, they got to go live in Goshen, but they only had a legal title of the land, and they had to pay the 20%. The only ones who didn't have to pay it is the priests. Now, believe it or not, some of the people of Israel became priests and didn't have to pay it. We know Moses went to the priest school. Uh, he also went to the military school. Usually he didn't go to both, but he got to go to all of them because he was the adopted son of the daughter of Pharaoh, who I believe was Hepsetsu. He should have been Tutankhamen the third, by all rights. That's why he could come and say, let my people go, because he should have been the Pharaoh. But he wanted to run this government in a more benevolent sort of way not the bondage way, but wanted to go back and teach the people to live by faith, hope, and charity. This was what they desired, that they would teach the people to live by faith, hope, and charity. Most people don't understand how that works, how to uh, run a government based on faith, hope, and charity. But that's the kingdom of God. And in order to do it, you have to construct the community, the, the network of the community, the structure of the community, the bones of this body in a particular way so that everything can function and work on a local basis. 
and yet also on an international basis because the kingdom of heaven is not here it's not there it's not in, in Santo Domingo or in uh, Florida or in Colorado uh, or in the Arctic Circle it's everywhere everywhere you go see that's what they were doing way back Herod was doing that you could live in Rome and be a citizen of Judea and you had your little ID stone to prove it and you say, well, wait, I'm a citizen of Judea, you know, da-da-da. You know, have you committed a crime in Rome, you know, murdered somebody, you could be tried in Rome. But when it came to paying your taxes, that was to go to Judea. And But Judea was becoming a part of the world. Herod was a part of the world because Herod was a part of the Pharisee error where they appealed to Rome to determine who would be king in Judea. That's why Rome was there. Now, most people don't know that. Many of the people have heard us, read our books, that we're all available online for free, uh, know that Rome was invited in by a man by the name of Aristobulus who claimed to be the rightful king of Judea and was in opposition to his relative, Hyrcanus, who also claimed to be the rightful king of Judea. And he had written Pompey and said, Pompey, help me out here. This guy is rebelling against me, who is the lawful king of Judea. We have a civil war here, and we need your army to come here as an international peacekeeping force to help us out. And by the way, here is this uh, huge gold leaf uh, gift that I'm giving you uh, in appreciation for your assistance. And he immediately sent a general over there to Judea who landed and met with Aristobulus' people. And suddenly Hyrcanus said, okay, 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 uh, I back off. And while Rome was there making, going to make sure that peace is kept, up there and begin to build harbors and begin to do all the things they do. But first they want to make sure that no one is breaking the law in Judea according to Judean law because they're a peacekeeping force in another country and they found the general that was sent by Pompey found that some of the things that the Aristobulus supporters were doing were not really in accordance to law because they actually listened to the grievances of the people who were following Hyrcanus and Aristobulus didn't like this and he wrote Pompey another letter saying your general is going beyond uh, his right and position of, of settling this peacekeeping problem. And so Pompey himself comes to Judea and says, okay, what's the problem? Let me see the law. What's he talking about? The Tanakh, the Pentateuch, the the laws of Judea. You show me the laws of Judea. Now they probably brought out more than just the Old Testament because they had a Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin thought that it was a lawmaker and it could make laws. It wasn't representatives of the people in under the authority of the commandments of God, it was now lawmakers. Their representatives had become lawmakers. Now, they hadn't yet established the system that Herod did, but uh, this was a couple hundred years, almost a couple hundred years before Christ. Um, it was after the Hasmoneans had already taken place and, and all the changes that they brought in and, of course, some of those changes are exactly what Pompey's general was rolling back. Had the, the uh, uh, ministers of that government, who we know as Levites. But anyway, Pompey looked over the law and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. As I'm looking over the law and I'm listening to the arguments of the both sides and I'm hearing what you guys have to say, you know, I don't think Aristobulus has the best claim 
to the throne. Uh, yeah, he wrote the letter, and he thought he did, but when I, what I'm reading here, and this is an unbiased party here, I'm seeing Hyrcanus has the better claim. I'm now going to withdraw my support of Aristobulus. And that golden gift you gave me, I can't keep that, because that's not appreciation money. That is a bribe. If I were to keep that and not support you, that would be wrong. I'm not going to give it back because I think you're out of line. I give it away to charity. So I do not profit in this in any way. He gave it all away. Now he's, he's, this is a lot of expense. He's come there. He's brought whole armies there. I mean, he sent a general. Now he comes. Somebody's paying the bill. And he took the gift that he was given and gave it away. Yeah, he was a wealthy man, absolutely. And the army was supported by other interests that it was already doing so that it had the power to do this. But it went to Hercules and said, okay, we'll back you. And he says, I can't make a deal with you. I'm to make no league with foreigners. I can't you for aid. That's written from the basics. I make no covenants with them nor with their gods. And their gods mean their ruling judges. I can't ask you to be the ruling judge as to who should be the king in Judea. And uh, Pompey was impressed. But guess who goes to Pompey? Yeah. The guy who goes to Pompey are the Pharisees. They say, Aristobulus is holed up in our temple. We can't even get in there. His supporters are in there. So Pompey says, okay, okay, I can help you out here. I'm just going to help you guys out. Uh, but according to your law, I can't even go into your temple. That would be a sacrilege. So guess what he did? He had his soldiers baptized, washed up, outside the temple before they entered into the temple. He instructed them, you cannot touch any sacred objects when you go in. This is, this is the mindset of these men because they obey law. They understand if you say this is the way we do it, we do it this way. We stick to our guns. We are men of our word. We do not give it casually, but when we give it, we stick by it. They got washed up. They go in, they don't touch any sacred objects, and Aristobulus and his guys go out the back door. And the supporters of Hyrcanus take over the temple again. And Rome is now in Judea. And it sets up Roman interests. They, we need, this is a really good spot. You know, we got trade goods coming from the Far East, and we got harbors here and uh, you know we can we can set up shop here we can make some money this is how they could afford to man their armies most Roman soldiers never pulled their sword in battle most centurions never pulled their sword in battle it's kind of like uh, policemen most policemen never have to pull their gun and shoot anybody but lo and behold they go and they build harbors they build roads. They build marketplaces so and granaries and, you know, wherever they can make a buck. This is what they were doing. Most of the centurions were building things that could turn a buck. And they were protecting their interests there. Again, this is the idea that you go... You go to another country and you can set up shop and you can protect your interests in that country. They understood that. We don't understand that anymore. <laughs> we, we can't go anywhere without permissio. Uh, we have to get permission. First passports were not issued to citizens of America. You just went. That was common before World War II. You just went to another country. You said, I'm from this country. I'm coming in. Okay, come on in. As long as they couldn't see any reason to keep you out. You, I mean, you got money to spend here. I mean, you're not going to be... You know, you don't want to get caught committing crimes, but 
They want people to come to the country and spend money. It's called tourism. It's good business. And then you come back to your country. And that's pretty easy to prove if you're from this country or not. And it doesn't really matter anyway. Anybody crosses the borders, it's not like, we oh, we have to secure our borders, so we need passports. Nobody's interested in securing their borders. They're interested in securing their assets. They're merchandise. You've all become merchandise through covetousness, a common theme that we see throughout the Bible, and you will hear throughout the, the programs of Keys of the Kingdom. So the series that we're going to bring up is going to be the Word of God and, and the doctrines and what these words mean and how it affects our day-to-day lives. But it is also important that you join the Living Network uh, at our website, hisoldagers.org. Go there, uh, drop down menu, the guy with a net, and join the local networks and start forming congregations of record because this is how the Kingdom of God works. You're not joining me you're joining together with people in your local area and those congregations are full of people or should be full of people who care as much about you as you care about yourself as much about your rights as you care about your their own rights that's the way that's the kingdom of god you have to love your neighbor as yourself in, in these congregations, you have to come together in that name of Christ to serve. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I can I wash your feet? Can I help you out? Can I serve you? If once you form that congregation, that congregation, if it's formed in that right spirit, will care about the next nation as much as they care about themselves. And what you do is you you, you start electing people that are good at connecting you with other people. The men that are full of love, not resentment, not anger. Men of their words. Men who say, yeah, I will do this. I will volunteer for this, and I will do it. Great. Let's do it. Then, But if you see men volunteering to do something and then not doing it, then they really haven't volunteered to do something and they have not been men of their word. They they will often talk a great deal about Christ, but they're not keeping their word. They're saying, yeah, I will do it, but then they don't. And they warn us in the Bible over and over again about men who say they will do, but they aren't doers of the word. And so we have to watch out for that. Now, they may change their mind and say, you know, that's right. I wasn't doing what I said I would do, and they may want to come back. Great, because we're also forgiving because our God is infinitely forgiving. He, he, he is infinitely forgiving to those who repent and turn around and change their ways. And say, oh, yeah, oh, now I will come back, and then don't. Oh, well, now I will come back, and then don't. Now, we'll keep forgiving them. But if they're not actually doing what they say, we, we will set them on the sidelines. Because we're, we have a mission, and we need to focus on that mission. A uh, common phrase that we've, uh, we, what you do when you join the Living Network in your area, is you find someone in your area who's volunteering, or you yourself volunteer to be a contact minister. That means for two people, you will try at least, minimum, you will try to keep them in contact with the rest of the network. In order to do that, you got to get to know men in the rest of the network. Well, you know, that's hundreds and hundreds of people. You can't know all those. But they've all picked contact ministers that are in the living network. And those contact ministers are put on a group. You get on the group with them, and then you get to know those men, and those men get to know you, and you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and you become a network. But if you get on that group and just sit there and don't listen and don't share, don't commune with one another, then what can we do for you? You're not you're not being a connecting point in this network. You're just a big knot sitting there. Not connected but 
to those few people that are in your local area. Well, that's not networking. That's not what you volunteered to do. It is contrary to what you volunteered to do. So we have this phrase, if you don't row, get out of the boat. If you won't hold up your end of the net, we're not going fishing with you. It's not our choice, it's your choice. If you make that choice, you can't be a part of that inner workings of the net. If you do make that choice and you work with us, great. And so that's the, that's what we're doing. And what's happening now is we're forming a more intimate group that's in a network because we can't get intimate with the hundreds and hundreds of people that are out there. But those individual network contact ministers can, and they can get intimate with each other and get to know each other, and you just build that network. It was what they called the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You can't get intimate with 500 people or 1,000 or 2,000. But you can get intimate with 10 people. And in order to be uh, bound by faith, hope, and charity, you have to be intimate with a tight-knit group. And so that your minister, you know who he is, you know he's a man of his word, you know when he says, I will do this, it gets done. You know that he has these characters of Christ. He's not trying to become some guy up on a pedestal, but he's trying to serve you. That's why I'm constantly trying to put things on the local network to do. Now, I send out dear network newsletters to through the contact ministers so that people don't lose sight of the bigger network, and I would like to have more of the contact ministers send out their network letters that other uh, members of the network share with their due, and we've seen that. It's worked pretty good. But that's because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but you need to get involved with it. You need to become a part of that network. You need to reach out to others with the character of Christ so that you can help others, not what the kingdom can do for you, but what you can do for the kingdom. So in the next week, join the network. Let's start doing your homework. Let's help one another. And until next week, may God be with you. Those of you who want to join us on Talk Show or some of the other radio programs come up, You have great. been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.